My name is Alex Barthet. I am a board certified construction attorney here in South Florida. So let's go over waivers and releases. What form of partial and final waiver should I use? Um, well, the first thing is it's, it depends if you're the GC or a subcontractor. At a high level, the rule is as follows. You want to give a narrow release when you get a check and you want to get a broad release when you give a check. And let me explain what that means in each scenario. Um, if I'm the general contractor and I'm paying my subcontractor, I want that subcontractor to give me a release that releases as many rights as possible. So I, as the contractor, know that I don't have to worry that the sub is going to come back to me later with any type of claim. If I am a subcontractor and I am getting a check and I'm going to give the contractor a release, I'd like to give up only the minimum amount of, of rights that I absolutely have to in order to get that check. Um, so with that as an understanding, let's go through the forms of releases. So Florida statute chapter 713 has several standard releases. So let's, let's look at them. So this is the form of partial and final, uh, this is the, sorry, this is the form of partial release, progress release that's found in chapter 713. If, if, if there would be, if someone were to say, what is a standard release in Florida? This is what people mean. It's the one found in the statute. So it has a little spot for the amount of money that you're getting, and it has a date, a through date. Um, so that's the date that has to match with the money. So if you're getting a $20,000 check and that releases your lien rights through the end of the month, then you would write $20,000 in the spot for the dollars and you would write um, the end of the month in the date. So here is the statutory final waiver form. It has the spot for the amount of money you're receiving, but if you notice, it has no through date. And the reason it has no through date is because it is effective as of the date that you sign it. So that means that any rights that you have through, through and including the day you sign that document are being released. Um, any lien rights are being released through that date. Let's take a look at another release and you'll notice some significant differences with it. So first off, you'll notice it has a lot more words and that as a sub or vendor um, or sub sub should make you nervous. The more words mean you're giving up more rights. So let's take a look at this release form. First, it says $10. We'll talk about that in a minute. And look at all the things that it's releasing. Any and all claims, change orders, works, materials, delays, fees, costs, losses, expenses, damages, or sums for the labor services and materials furnished. It is a broad release. Anything and everything that you are releasing, uh, that you have, through the through date are being released. So if you sign this release and you want to say six months later that you are you were delayed on this job, you probably are not going to be successful in doing that because you signed this release and it included specifically a release for any and all losses, expenses, delays, um, 
So you need to be very careful about that. Many times it's a non-issue, but when it is, it becomes a really big problem. Notice that this release as well in the final two sentences include additional statements that you are making. The undersigned warrants and represents that it has paid all bills and sums due to any and all suppliers, persons, employees, agents, and contractors working under or through the undersigned through and including the date listed above. So now you're saying not only are you releasing all your rights through the through date, but you're saying you paid everybody. Maybe that's true, maybe it isn't. If it's not true and there's litigation later, this document could be used against you. Look what it also says. The undersigned further warrants that all work and material supplied by, through, or under it fully comply with the applicable contract documents. So to the extent anyone were to find out later that you, you know, installed products improperly or not, in, not consistent with the, the project documents, they could use this document against you. So be very careful about what you're signing. Um, so uh, you need to read every release to make sure that you agree to all of its terms. So let's talk about how to deal with these various forms of release. If you agree to a form of release in your contract, um, sometimes we see it in the form of, you know, exhibit you know, Q, R, and S to your contract are the forms of releases that you're going to use in exchange for payment, then that's the form you've agreed to use. We also see it as a statement in the document that you agree to use any form acceptable to the contractor or to the owner um, or to the subcontractor. If you sign a contract that says that, then you're going to be bound to sign the releases that they give you. So step one, negotiate the form of release that is part of your contract. So just like you're negotiating the scope and any other terms and price and schedule, if you don't agree with the form of the release, you need to make sure that you uh, address that in your contract negotiations. How do you make your release conditioned on actually getting paid? Um, so what is a conditional release? A conditional release is a release that is expressly conditioned on you actually receiving the money that's recited in the release. So here's a statement you can add to your release, to any release, um, that uh, you can handwrite it in, you can type it in, doesn't really matter. And the statement is notwithstanding anything to the contrary, this waiver and release is conditioned upon and not effective until the undersigned receives paid funds of blank. So if you're expecting a $50,000 check, you'd write $50,000 there and you'd put that in the release. What is that to? That means that when you give this release to somebody, before you get the $50,000, that the release is no good until you actually received the $50,000. Some things to be careful of, watch out for releases that are titled conditional, but have, have no conditional language in them. We see that a lot. So the title of the document is conditional release. And you read it and it doesn't say anything about it being conditioned. The title by itself is not gonna make the release condition conditional. So you have to make sure it has conditional language in it. You must include a specific amount that's going to satisfy the condition. So you cannot have a $10 release that's conditional because it's conditional on 
So if you're expecting a $50,000 check, then the portion of the release that talks about um, what it is conditional on has to save $50,000. As a general contractor, watch out for conditional releases from sub subcontractors or suppliers to your subs. Let me explain what I mean. If you're a general contractor and you get a release from your plumber and the plumbing supply house gives you a conditional release, what happens if you pay the plumber and the plumber never pays the supply house? You would not have satisfied the condition on that conditional release from the supply house and that release that you're holding from the supply house is no good. So if you have any doubt that the supply house is going to get their money, you need to do one of two things. You need to tell your sub, I cannot accept a conditional release, or you need to issue a joint check so that you are in control of satisfying that condition associated with um, that conditional release. That's how you have to deal with that problem if you are concerned as a general contractor. So why does the release say $10 and does it really matter? Um, $10 releases are valid and effective um, if you receive any type of consideration, even if that consideration is not money. Um, so maybe you're expecting a $10,000 check and the release says $10. The fact that it says $10, I'll explain why in a minute, is not does not invalidate the release. Um, so here's a couple of tricks to keep in mind. If you are the party receiving the money and giving the release, my advice is try to always include the amount that you're actually getting in the release. It doesn't, it's not absolutely mandatory, but it is helpful um, for certain situations. If you are giving someone money and getting a release, right? So maybe you're the GC and you're giving the money and getting the release, you would like it to say $10. Let me give you an example. Let's say that the electrician is expecting a $100,000 check and only $80,000 is available for pickup. If the release says in exchange for $100,000, I'm giving up my lien rights and the electrician shows up and picks up an $80,000 check, well, we have a disconnect. If, if there's a dispute later, we can argue that the release was not uh, valid because it was given for 100,000, but he only got 80,000. So that's why as the electrician, you wanna make sure that it says 100,000. If you're the GC, you want it to say $10 because the electrician may have been expecting 100,000, but he gets there, he only picks up an $80,000 check the release has $10. Now, later, if we have to argue about it, the, the position of the general contractor is, hey, you were happy with $80,000. That's a hell of a lot more than $10. That release is good. You need to live with it. So be very careful about um, the use of $10. Um, and obviously, you cannot make a release conditional on $10. So what if the through date um, what through date should you use and what if the through date and the payment date don't match? The through date is the effective date of the release. Um, the through date is going to control over the payment amount. Um, 
if the through date and the payment don't match, you need to change one or the other or both to make them match. So if you're expecting a $100,000 check that gets you to the end of the month and they're only going to give you 80, then you need to change the through date. Is it the 27th of the month? Is it the 16th of the month? I, you know, it depends on the work you did. But if you sign a release with a through date through the end of the month and you accept uh, that money, you're giving up all your rights through that through that period of time. And that period of time is going to control over the amount of money. So how do you preserve change orders and delay claims um, when you're asked to sign a release? Um, so if you have claims, maybe change orders, claims, uh, RCOs, PCOs, you need to exclude them from your release every month. And here's a sample sentence you can use to include in your release. Notwithstanding anything to the contrary, this waiver and release does not waive or release the undersigned's claims for blank, all of which are reserved. Maybe you'll list in there, you know, RCO 6927. Um, if, uh, if you have a delay claim, it's nice if your delay claim also has some type of reference because then maybe you'll put that in there as well. Um, just know when you sign a broad release, if you don't include any type of carve out, then you will be giving up those rights. Some contractors have releases that have a built-in line for exclusions. If so, that's where you're gonna put in your exclusions. Every month you need to make sure that you keep these exclusions running. So if your RCO 11 turns into CO4, right? So now it's part of the contract, that comes out of your exclusions, but maybe you have other RCOs or PCOs that you need to add. It's a tedious process, but it's important. Um, we have some clients that make reference to their change order log. So in the blank, they say attach change order log and they attach their change order log every month when they attach their, when they submit their release. Thanks. Have a great day, everybody.